And as I mentioned a little bit ago, we uh, have been in Ephesians uh, for, the, for the last several months looking at it together as a church. And this week, we're going to review the whole letter. Uh, each week we've examined a section of it, and uh, we're trying to consider, as we've been going along, we've been encouraged to consider, how does this fit in the context of the whole? The best way to put it all together is to read through it in its entirety. And so while we don't often do this in our services today, we're going to take the time to do this. And, uh, and as we do it, we're, consider again, we're concluding this, this amazing, this timeless letter. And we're reading through it completely. It's going to be portrayed through a dramatic reading. Each person who reads will be representing someone in a different era of time, including the letter's original writer, the Apostle Paul. Our prayer is that this will cause each one of us to consider the Bible that we hold is the powerful truth of God preserved from generation to generation, impacting each generation as it has been read and understood. So, may this reading remind you of the takeaways you've had each week as we've looked at the text together, and may it help you to put each of those teachings into context within the letter as a whole. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with with every every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory." For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. 
and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God God prepared prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly... In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit 
to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner, prisoner for, the Lord, for the Lord, then, I, I urge you, you to, to live, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why, he, why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament 
grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands so the so that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, for such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and become united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they be slaves or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm, therefore, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray pray in in the the Spirit spirit on on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray for me also, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are 
and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. It's something to think, isn't it? That as Paul was writing this, God looked forward. And he looked forward and he knew that it would end up in one of these and in our hands. That, Glenn, as you said, and as you, as you do that, the difference in our attire, what kind of miracle is it that this is kept for us, this letter is kept for us? Thank you, my friend. I hope you see that. Sometimes we think of it, and we think of this as being some ancient book that has no relevance. But there's this importance that comes from this. Because it's the Word of God, absolutely and definitely. But it's timeless. You see, it's timeless. And hopefully you've seen that. And, and hopefully as, you, as you've heard this read, there's been some messages maybe that have been given and, and there have been parts that have touched you and you've now seen it in the whole again. It's interesting that, that we sometimes read our verses and we've talked about how we learn in sound bites and, and how we like to take verses out of context and, and have those bring truth into our lives and, and that's possible and it's important. But it's so much more vital when we bring Scripture into context and we're able to understand it in its fullness. And so that's why to read this letter to us today, in a way it unites us with that original audience. And it reminds us that the Holy Spirit is able to illuminate this text for us. And the Holy Spirit has preserved it for us. So as we look at Ephesians and as we close it out, what does it mean to close out this letter? And as we've been entrusted with it, as we've been going through it, starting in March, <clears throat> going through it and thinking through it and, and each of the things that we've learned, what does it mean to walk in unity? What does it mean to walk in the light, to walk in love, to walk in wisdom? And all of the different things, the old self and the new self, the, the man that was put off and the, the man that was put on, the fact that in Christ Jesus, Jew and Gentile, it's possible for there to be a unity there that was never possible before the Messiah. As we look at that and we, and we see that and, we, and now we watch Paul close this letter. When Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, he said to them, he said, whatever you've seen in me, Whatever you've seen in me or heard me say, whatever, whatever as you've watched me, anything, put that into practice. Think about that. Think if you could say to people, I think about this a lot, whatever you see in me, do that. Oh man, I am not worthy of that. How did Paul say that? You know, and, and sometimes I look at that verse and I go, what's going on in his mind? And I think what it is, is he just flat out loved Jesus. He just, he just flat out loved Jesus. And that didn't mean he lived his life perfect. It meant that as you watched him live his life, he lived it in such a way that it was obvious 
that he had come to understand the love of Jesus in his life and he was looking to make that love known. And when he messed up, that showed in the way he went back and fixed the stuff he messed up. So whatever you've seen, and I believe the end of our letter, his closing out of the letter, lets us see by his example how we should be living together as brothers and sisters. Because that's what we are, brothers and sisters. And brothers and sisters love to share, just love to share. And I know I don't have to talk about that because all of you who have brothers and sisters, you know that that's true, right? Nervous laughter fills the room. But in Christ, brothers and sisters need to learn how to love to share. And Paul shows us that as he closes out the letter. And he says this, he says, so that you may know how, uh, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Right there in verse 21. And so it's, it's this truth that, that Paul is very interested in them knowing how he is and what he's doing. And so he sends Tychicus to be able to tell that. Now, we looked last week at this putting on the armor of God and how important it is to get the armor of God on before you step into prayer. And that actually what this passage is talking about that we looked at last week is that we need to get the armor of God on when we go into prayer because when we step into prayer, we're stepping into battle against the heavenly forces. And so we need to be, we need to be protected and we need to be guarded and we need to be ready to step in. And when Paul does that and he stops and he says, and I want you to pray for me and I want you to pray for me so that I can be bold in proclaiming the, the truth. And we looked at how, how interesting is that? That, that Paul, in the situation he's in, you know, he's in prison, he's in this painful place, and you would think that what he'd be asking for is that they'd, they'd be praying that he could be released, or they'd be praying that somehow he could be set free. But he prays and says, pray that I will be bold. And I think in that, he gives us the example of what that means. And so many times, I know I, I've shared this with you before, but it's such a big part of who I am that to come to understand that, that what happens in your life is, is of far less importance than how you respond to what happens in your life. See, you will be brought into situations. There will be circumstances that come into your life that are painful, that are hard, that are, that are hard to deal with, that are confusing, that you don't understand. Listen, those things come into your life, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can take those things and you can use them in your life to be able to declare his truth. And that's what Paul is asking for prayer for. He's saying, I need you to pray for me so that this situation that's in my life can declare the glory of God. And as we begin to learn that, as we begin to understand that as people of God, and, and as I'm looking around the room, I see so many of you who've been in these situations and these circumstances, and you've been able to see that God has brought you into a place that you never would have been otherwise. You've met people you would not have met, people who needed to know the light, the truth, and the way. And you've been there, and you've been able to do that. And that's powerful. And when we begin to see it that way, then we, we understand and know that's why we're here as children of the light. But Paul goes on to say, listen, I understand that you're also interested in how I am. And so I'm going to let Tychicus go ahead and talk to you about that. 
Okay, so he, he wants to be able to share, but the prayer that he preserves is a prayer that he would be faithful in the midst of his circumstance, but then he also has Tychicus tell them everything that's going on so that they can know how Paul is, and that's important. And Paul teaches us here that you need to share that. You need to share what's going on. A lot of times we're not all that good at that. We've got stuff going on in our lives and we won't necessarily share it. We're just holding it in and, and expecting people to understand what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. Has that ever happened to you? Where something's going on in your life and you wish someone would step in and pray for you only you haven't told anybody? Like somehow somebody's supposed to know that? See, brothers and sisters, share what's going on in our lives. And we share that with each other. Now, the implication there is that if I share it with a brother or sister, they're going to care. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's the other side of this. Because if I share it with someone who's not really interested in what's happening in my life, it just kind of falls flat. So, so the implication in here is not just that, that Paul is sharing through Tychicus everything that's happening, but that those who are receiving the report are glad to hear it, and they're welcoming it, and it'll step into praise and prayer. In Philippians, Paul, that church that he was a little more intimately involved with, he shares a little bit. He says that even though I'm in chains, it served the Lord's purpose, that that the, the guards have come to know Christ and many in Caesar's household actually came to know Christ because I was here in chains. I think that's some of the stuff that Tychicus was, was helping the, the church in Ephesus to know and to understand. Brothers and sisters share. They love to. Sharing's required for informed prayer and praise and the next thing we see is that sharing brings encouragement. And that's in the next verse where it says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So there's this idea of encouragement that comes as we share. That, that you know, and sometimes you may see somebody and you think, man, I know, I know something's going on with that person. And as they share it, you're able to step into it and you're able to offer encouragement or you're able to be encouraged by them. We go quickly through the halls, don't we? I do. How are you today? Good. All right. How are you today? Fine. Good. How are you today? Okay. Good. How are you today? Kind of hurting. Good. You know, because are we really engaged with hearing the answer? You, you know, I mean, are we ready to press in? Do, do we have time to be interrupted? How are you today? I'm Okay. Oh man, what does that mean? Help, help me know that a little bit more. Help me know what it means that you're okay. What's going on in your life so I can come and step in alongside of you and encourage you. I'm doing great. Oh wow, what makes it great? And you're able to declare something that now encourages me. What, what's going on in your life? See, Paul, even though he's distanced is still very interested in what's happening in church in Ephesus, and they're very interested in what's happening in his life. So much so that this gentleman, Tychicus, who I'm imagining will meet in the next life, gets to tell them everything that's been going on. 
I don't know about you, but I wonder what it would be like to be entrusted with everything that was going on in Paul's life. You know, it's like, I've got a five-minute report for you. <laughs> you were probably there for weeks. So we see that sharing is required for informed prayer and praise. It brings encouragement. Finally, we see that, that sharing changes our hearts. Sharing changes our hearts. And it, and it may be that our hearts change from Christ and that, that moves us to share. And, you know, it's all kind of twisted together. But what I see in this passage is that as he shares, it, it, it helps him to, to have a greater love for his brothers and sisters. And the verse goes on to say, peace to the brothers and love with faith from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. These four words, peace, Faith, love, and grace. Those are the words that permeate all through this letter, especially love through this letter to the church in Ephesus. They're all over the place in there. Peace is seven times shalom. Eight times is this idea of faith. Twelve times with grace and 14 times love is mentioned. Three times just in these two verses. It's this idea that peace goes to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God, that peace, love, and faith come from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then grace. I think verse 24, if we really take a look at verse 24, we see in so many ways what it means to be saved. Grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love that's incorruptible. Loving the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. It's by grace you've been saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, grace is what saves us. It's by grace you've been saved. And that's what saves you. And so who does this grace go to, according to this verse? Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. See, sometimes the, the gospel's presented as, you know, you need to say a prayer or, you know, you need to do something. And, and maybe you've heard the gospel presented and, and you've, say, you've heard it said, if you say this prayer, you'll be going to heaven. Could I tell you, it's way more than saying a prayer. It's about understanding the things you've done that are wrong have, have disqualified you from being in the presence of God. They've brought you under his wrath. And you might think that what you've done is so terrible that God couldn't forgive you. It's not true. You may think that what you've done is so little that it's not that big a deal. That's not true either. Whatever you've done has separated you from God and brought you under his wrath, but he has made it possible by grace through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you to be forgiven. But what that requires is a repentance. It requires a turning. It requires a repentance. And that repentance in a large part is a repentance from loving the Lord Chuck Cervenka to loving the Lord Jesus Christ. I had to come to a point in my life where I said, listen, I, I understand and know that I've been serving myself, my own needs, my own thoughts, and and I want you to be the Lord of my life. See, and it's this Lord Jesus Christ, and it's twice here. 
Lord Jesus, actually the Christ, Christ, Christos, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the suffering servant, the one who came to earth and suffered so that we could be saved, and the one who will come as king, Yeshua, Joshua, the one who saves, Jesus we call him, Lord, with a love that's incorruptible, this idea of incorruptible, it's immortal, it's, it's indestructible. It reminds me when Jesus says, do not store up for yourself on earth treasures where moth and rust destroy, corrupt, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. So it's this idea of, of is the love that I have for Jesus Christ incorruptible? Is it an eternal love? Is it, is it a love that, that permeates my life? And is it a love that will never spoil or fade? So the book closes with what I believe is a question. Do you love Jesus? Do you, do you love Jesus? I mean, you're here at church, so obviously that's why you're here, right? But, but is it? Do you love the Lord Jesus with a love that, that is, is incorruptible? You can't just love Jesus and all these other things. It's this idea of repenting from all those things, and, and he becomes your first love. In Revelation, when... When Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus, he says, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. This church of Ephesus that loved the Lord so much fell away from that. Have you? Do you love Jesus? In 1864, there was a teenager who came to know the Lord as Savior, and he wrote a hymn. To him, 155 years this has been singing. He wrote it as a poem, and somebody put it to music. Maybe you know this song. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Let's stand. I'll love thee in life. I will love thee in death. Come on, church. And praise thee as long as breath. And say when the death do cold on my brow. If ever I love
Jesus, tis now one day in mansions of glory and endless delight. I'll ever adore Thee, heaven so bright. I'll sing with a glittering crown on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled all the measure of all the fullness of God. To him who is able to do far abundantly, more than all you could ask or even begin to imagine, according to his power that has worked within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Do you love Jesus? Don't leave here if you don't. If you don't love Jesus and you don't know what that means, talk to the person next to you. And if the person next to you doesn't know what it means, get up here. Because I want to talk to you and let you know my Jesus.